What a friendly bunch. We're going to be in John chapter 17 this morning and for just a few weeks here. So I invite you to turn there, page 1,245, if you're using the Bible under the seat in front of you. John chapter 17. Lord, we thank you for just a powerful time of worship. Lord, as we've glorified you, magnified you in music and song, we praise you. Now, Lord, we seek to worship with our minds as we consider your word. Pray that you would bless our understanding. And I pray that it be more than us just understanding what we put into practice. What you've instructed us this morning, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. So last week, we finished our study of the longest sermon of Jesus recorded in the scripture, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapters 5 through 7. And remember in that sermon... Jesus told us about his kingdom and what his kingdom people should be like. So I thought we finished that series last week. But then I got to thinking, we just studied the longest sermon of Jesus. Why not check out the longest public prayer of Jesus? Might that give us more insight in how to be God's kingdom people by looking at what Jesus prayed for. So I found the longest prayer of Jesus. It's here in John chapter 17. And it certainly helps us to be more effective as God's people. Here in John chapter 17, Jesus prays this prayer at a very crucial moment in life. He prays this prayer out loud in front of his disciples in the upper room. After he finishes this prayer, they'll leave the upper room and they'll go into the Garden of Gethsemane. So, hours after Jesus prays this prayer, he'll be betrayed, arrested. He'll go into a time of intense suffering. By 9 a.m. the next morning, he'll be suffering on the cross. So let's see what's on his heart. Let's see what he's concerned about as he prays. Look at verse 1. Jesus spoke these words, lifted up his eyes to heaven, and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son also may glorify you. As you have given him authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. He says, I've glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. And now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself 
with the glory which I had with you before the world was. So this first part of the prayer, Jesus is praying for himself. Now I got to confess, if I'm in his position facing the cross, I'm probably praying a very selfish prayer. I'm probably saying, Lord, help me, give me strength, carry me. It would have been a prayer all about me, me, me. But Jesus is praying for himself, but in an unselfish way. Jesus is concerned here about the glory of his father. That's his prayer. His prayer is, may the father be glorified in and through me. May God be glorified in what is about to take place. This word glory, glorify, glorified, it's the main word in our text this morning. In fact, it shows up six times. It's the Greek word doxado. It means to exalt, to magnify, to bring honor to, to elevate, to point to, to reveal, to show the greatness of, to give honor to. That's what's on the heart of Jesus. That the Father would be magnified. That his greatness would be shown. That his glory would be revealed. Jesus was all about glorifying the Father. In fact, he saw his life sort of as a magnifying glass that made the glory of God visible. It showed the greatness of God. And Jesus glorified the Father for his whole life. I mean, here we're at the end of his public ministry after 33 and a half years living on planet Earth, and Jesus is able to say in verse 4, I have glorified you on Earth. I've finished the work which you called me to do. Everything that Jesus did, he did with an awareness of bringing glory to the Father. So when he does miracles... He's glorifying God the Father. He's showcasing the power and the compassion of God. As he's teaching truth, he's showing the wisdom of his Father. As he's living that perfect, sinless life, he's showcasing the holiness of the Father. As he's speaking words of love and compassion to people, he's showing the heart of the Father. As he speaks tough words to the religious folks in his day, he's revealing the indignation of God towards self-righteousness. Everything he did to reveal the Father. Verse 4, he says, I've glorified you on the earth. I've finished the work which you've given me to do. Verse 6, he says in his prayer, I have manifested your name to the men whom you've given me out of the world. They were yours, you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. 
Now they have known that all things which you have given me are from you, for I have given to them the words of which you have given me. There again he says, I manifested your name. Jesus made the name of God clear. Jesus made the words from God clear to his people. Everything directing towards God, his glory, the Father. And I've told you before, and I'll tell you again, if you want to know what God is like, simply study the life of Jesus Christ. He shows you exactly what God is like. In Hebrews chapter 1, it says, In these last days God has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds, him being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person. John 1.18 says, No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him. That's what Christ was all about. Declaring the Father, bringing glory to the Father, showing people the Father. And now, here in John chapter 17, in verse 1, he says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son, that your son also may glorify you. The hours come. What hour? The hour for which he came to planet earth. The cross. The sacrifice that he would make for the sins of the world. The suffering that he would experience. And what is Jesus concerned about? The glory of God. May God the Father be glorified. Did you know that God is glorified at the cross? Now, God is glorified in many ways through creation, through many things that you'll see. But most specifically, God is glorified at the cross. Now, you might say, well, how is that possible? The cross was a pretty ugly thing. What Jesus experienced there was ugly. It was a bloody mess. doesn't look like anybody or anything was being glorified at the cross. It looks like defeat and failure. Now, the, the world may say, may say that and think that. But please understand the Bible declares that at the cross, God is glorified. All his attributes become clearer and blended together at the cross. For instance, God is holy. God is completely holy. We know that, right? He's perfect. He's sinless. God cannot tolerate sin. So the Bible teaches that God is just. And he is absolutely just. And the Bible speaks about the wrath of God. God is a God of wrath. In his justice, his wrath is poured out upon sin. The wrath of God is God's just response towards sin. All of that springing out of his perfect holiness. 
Those are the attributes of God. God never changed. And by the way, we all know that inherently because we were created in his image. You were created in the image of God, and that's why you have a built-in moral compass. You have a sense of right and wrong. And you have a sense of knowing when something's not right that justice needs to be served. You cry out at injustice. And so if somebody robs your house or robs one of your friend's house, you think that's not right. Something should happen. There needs to be justice. Or one of these mass shooters going in. and I mean, we're hearing it every day, are we not? Just last night in Allen, Texas, at the outlet mall, this person comes in and shoots people. Now, you, you hear that and you cry out for justice. That's not right. Things need to be made right. Well, that's how God is. You were created in his image, and that's why you feel that. But understand this. God feels that way about every sin, not just the sins of mass murderers or thieves. God is perfect, and he feels that way about every sin, including all my sins. All of our sins. He's perfect, holy, and righteous. We're not. And so, if we're just thinking about God from that perspective, then we're in a whole lot of trouble, aren't we? Because we've all sinned. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. For the wages of sin is death. And we are all sinners. We stand condemned. And yet, we also know from the Bible that God is a God of grace and mercy and kindness and love. And we see that absolutely showcased at the cross because God sent his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, the perfect one, To die for the sins of the world. To die for our sins. He incurred the wrath of God. He died in our place. He experienced all the punishment that we deserved. And so, at the cross, you see the wrath, the holiness, the justice of God. Sin is punished. Christ paid for it. But then you also see the love and the grace and the mercy of God. And how is that so? Because you didn't have to die for your own sins. God sent his son to pay that price for you. You want to see the holiness of God? Look at the cross. You want to see the ugliness of sin? Look at the cross. You want to see the justice of God? Look at the cross. You want to see the wrath of God? Look at the cross. You want to see the love of God? Look at the cross. You want to see the grace of God? Look at the cross. The cross we see God glorified in a spectacular way. We see the wisdom of God. 
at the cross. He came up with that plan by which if an innocent substitute dies in the place of sinners, we can be forgiven. We see the omnipotence of God. Three days later, God would raise Jesus from the dead. We see the omniscience of God. This was a plan that God came up with before the foundations of the world were set in place. The cross, where the glory of God is displayed. And that is why Paul said in Galatians chapter 6, God forbid that I would boast about anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Cross means everything. Jesus lived his whole life praying for the glory of the Father to be. And he lived to show the glory. And at the end, the cross, he prayed that the glory of the Father would be shown. What an incredible example Christ is. Now look what else he prays for. And this is where you and I come in. Look what he prays for in verse 9. He says, I pray for them. I do not pray for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. And all mine are yours, and yours are mine. And I am what? Glorified in them. I'm glorified in them. So here Jesus is looking ahead. He's looking into the future to find this special group of people in whom he'll be glorified. A group of people that would live their lives glorifying God. And my brother and sister in Christ... That's us. We're the kingdom people. Now we are to be those people that live lives that glorify Jesus, that magnify Jesus. Now we are the magnifying glasses that are to show the greatness and the glory of God. Jesus prayed for that. Now, I want you to understand, my brother and sister in Christ, you are a walking miracle. Please understand that. Your salvation is a miracle. What God did for you. Now, you know the gospel. Jesus died for the sins of the world, and yet... In order to be saved, you have to put your faith and trust in Christ. And when you put your faith and trust in Christ, there's a change. There's a miracle that takes place in your life. You are forgiven of all your sins. You are given eternal life. In fact, I love how Jesus mentions that in verse 3. He says, and this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. When you gave your life to Jesus, your, your, your sins were forgiven, and you came into a relationship. Christian, you know God intimately. You know Christ. And your salvation glorifies God. It glorifies God. 
When you gave your life to Jesus Christ, that glorified God. But beyond that, we know that Jesus saves us, he forgives us, but he also transforms us. He gives us brand new hearts. He makes us brand new people. We're told in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Ephesians chapter 2, You he made alive who were dead. In trespass, you, be, you used to be dead in sin. Now you're alive in Christ. Peter talks about us being partakers of the divine nature. The scripture says that you are a miracle. You're transformed. You're different. You're changed. Maybe before you came to Christ, you held grudges and hatred and bitterness and towards your to in your heart towards other people but now you're different now you love people now you forgive people maybe you were a thief before you came to Christ now you're no longer a thief now you're a responsible worker and you're generous you actually give money away maybe you were addicted to all sorts of horrific things before you came to Christ but now you've been changed you've been delivered You're one of God's trophies of grace. When he changes a life. Jesus, in his life, lived to glorify God. He died for it. And now, that's what we should do. The Lord has changed us. The Lord has done we should live with that mindset that we are going to glorify God. I agree with the Westminster Catechism. The chief end of man is to bring glory to God. The reason you're alive, the reason you're born again, is to bring glory to God. To make him known. He saved you for it. He died on the cross for you to do that. Bring glory to God in everything. You know, I, I love when, when things get summarized. You remember when Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? And there's all these different commandments in the Bible that you could. But Jesus said, the greatest commandment is love God with all your heart and your mind, your strength. Spend your life loving God first more than you love anyone else. And here we'd add, spend your life giving glory to God. Wanting God to be glorified. So you can glorify God in every aspect of life. You can glorify God at your job. Your career can glorify God. You can glorify God in your art. You can glorify God in your music. You glorify God in your family. You glorify God in your marriage. You glorify God in your parenting. You glorify God in your interaction with other people. People look at you and they see the greatness of God. You remember in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus taught us, you're the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. 
Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Every act of worship, every good work, every charitable thing that you do, all done to bring glory to God. To make him known. Man, if you could just apply that to every situation in life. How do I bring glory to God in this situation? You can glorify God in how you respond to hurt and pain. You can glorify God in how you return to the Lord after you've failed. You can glorify God in every aspect of your life. By the way... Really think of your life as a Christian as as one, you you want people to see Jesus. People just see Jesus in you. And that doesn't mean that you have to run around, you know, preaching at everybody on the street corner, taking your big Bible to work and beating people over the head with it. That won't glorify God, by the way, in your life. Man, it's just being that different, brand new, woman of God that you've become that different brand new man of God that you've become where people sense God with you I've always loved that poem not merely in the words you say not only in your deeds confessed but in the most unconscious ways Christ expressed Is it a beautiful smile, a holy light upon your brow? Oh, wow, I felt his presence when you laughed just now. To me, t'was not the truth you taught, to you so clear, to me still dim. But it's when you came, you brought, you brought a sense of him. And from your eyes, he beckons me, and from your heart, His love is shed till I lose sight of you and see the Christ instead. Paul the Apostle talks about Christ in you, the hope of glory, the hope of glory. That's what Christianity is. It's Christ in you. And your life points others to him, glorifies him. We have one life to live. One life. It's really short compared to all of eternity. In this life, we need to live to bring glory to God. Glory to Jesus. I mentioned that this is an unselfish prayer that Jesus prayed. And that's true. But look what he does pray in verse 5. I like this. He says, And now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. I love that. What's Jesus praying for? I can't wait to go home. I can't wait to be back in glory. Think of what he did. He left glory. He left heaven. He came. He spent 33 and a half years. Died that death. Paid that price. And here he's looking. 
Lord, I can't wait to get home. I can't wait to be back in glory with you. Everything that Jesus did on, on earth to glorify God and what he, he gives us the perfect example. And we also see in him a perfect example of wanting to go home. Now, my brother and sister in Christ, heaven is your home. Because Jesus is risen from the dead, glorified and ascended, you can too, one day, be resurrected, glorified, a member of heaven. Heaven awaits, amen? And it's going to be an awesome, awesome thing. And that's why right now, in this life, we should do everything we can to glorify God. To draw people to him. To let others see the love of Jesus and the light of Jesus shining in our hearts. Because home, it's coming. And you want others to be there through your life as you follow him. Christian, are you living to glorify Jesus? I just ask you that. Or have you sort of gotten off track? Are you the Christian who's living to glorify yourself? You know, your career, your stuff. Your whatever, your kingdom. Have you lost sight? Glorify Jesus. Maybe you're here this morning and you haven't yet began that journey to glorify God because that's that first step that must happen. You must give your life to Jesus. You must ask him to be your savior. To ask him to be your Lord, to ask him to forgive you of all your sins, to make you brand new and born again. That begins the process. Would you bow your heads with me? Let's pray together. Oh, Lord, thank you for your example. Your example is so beautiful and so powerful. We see though you're the perfect son of God, you lived a selfless life servant. You live to glorify the Father. You showed us that by example in every aspect of your life. You're glorified by what you did at the cross and you've prayed for a people that would glorify you. We want to be those people. We want to be those people. May we be reminded each day that we exist to give you glory. So shine through us daily. If you are a born-again Christian here this morning and you've been kind of slipping away, I would invite you to, to come back to this It's a really simple concept. You live your life not for your glory, but for the glory of the Savior 
who loves you most, died for you and saved your soul. Return your focus back upon him. Live for him. Maybe you're here this morning and you've yet to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior. He died for you. He rose again. Only through faith in him can your sins be forgiven. Can you become born again? Have you asked him? Have you invited him to be your Lord and Savior? Have you put your faith and trust in him? If not, you have an opportunity right now, right now. You ask Jesus personally to be your Savior. You admit your sinfulness. You thank him for what he did for you at the cross. Receive him. If that's you, I'm going to lead you in a prayer right now. Say, Lord, that's me. I need you. I need to be saved. Wash all my sins away. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins, paying the price for me. Right now I receive you. And make me born again. Fill me with your spirit. Change my life into one that will bring glory to you. For the rest of my days. Shine in and through me. In Jesus' name, amen.